Well, all the ingredients are here, aren't they? A very much informed lower league team. Is this the chance? It is the chance, and it's the goal that they create. And scores it! David Bale puts his name up in lights and Wembley. Which has been in chaos off the pitch. Welcome to Inside the Change Room. Today we're joined by a man who started his career at West Bromwich Albion, went on to Bournemouth, went on to Carlisle, to Gillingham, to Lincoln, to Kidderminster and Grimsby. Promotions and unfortunately relegations during the career. He's taking his coaching role into management at Hereford at the time of COVID being stopped. Um, today we're joined by Josh Gowlin. Josh, thank you for coming on. Oh, no problem, how are you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Just been on a, a little my um, bit of exercise. Didn't go very well, but apart from that, I'm good. <laughs> um, as ever, as you can see, uh, we're joined by my co-host Jacob. Jacob, how are you? I'm good. Cheers, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, all good. All good. Trying to keep sane. Trying to keep sane. Um, I know it's hard, isn't it? So, um, yeah. No, Josh. Uh, we'll go. We'll go right back to the start then. Um, yeah. What made you? What made you get into football? Tell, tell us how the how the uh, the the wonderful career started. Um, it was probably with a, a negative, to be fair. Um, I remember, like, my brother is a lot older. He's about three, four years older than me, and he'd always played. He was probably better than me, fair. He was dedicated. But I remember when I was in primary school, I went to try out um, for the school team. I just started playing. I went to try out for the school team, and I didn't get in. And um, that was, I remember going. And I remember going to my mum, couldn't look to my mum and crying my eyes out. <laughs> I, was about, I was about five. And then from then, I was determined to play football. So then practice, practice, practice. And then the next year, I got in. And um, we had a school teacher called Mr. M. Um, he, was just he was just amazing. And um, my primary school team, which is in Coventry, um, we were the best team in the West Midlands. We, were, we had an, an unbelievable season. We never lost a game and we won everything. So, and that just kind of gave me that bug and that buzz for football. And then, you know, obviously, we went on from there. Yeah, obviously, um, it was it was West Brom um, that you kind of yeah. started your your first yeah. um, taster of football. Um, yeah. How, how did that? Yeah. How did that move come about? Was there was there other interest from clubs? Was it or or was it a case that you were just spotted by West Brom at the time? So that's that that. P teacher put me forward to our, our county team, which was the West Midlands. Yeah. So when I left primary school, I got West Midlands trials. Um, so I obviously got into the West Midlands team, but at those trials, West Brom were, were scouting. Yeah. And um, a guy called Nick Mummery um, said to me, oh, like, come down and, and have a trial. So I, I actually remember my first trial game. It was at Aston University. Uh, and I give a penalty away uh, <laughs> <laughs> in my trial game. So I thought, like, oh, no way I'm getting in here there. Um, and then, yeah, I got picked up. And then um, Drewick and, and uh, Richard O'Kelly, obviously, were my academy uh, coaches there. And obviously, they brought us for the youth team. So then, um, yeah, that's how that, that kind of started. So I, I, I never got picked up by Coventry, funny enough. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Coventry boy. And obviously, they had a Coventry Academy there. And they just, yeah. I just never got picked up. So it was a bit odd. Then I went West Brom and then... Yeah, and then it, obviously that started my career. Yeah, I mean, of course, like you mentioned, moving through the ranks at West Brom, and then come yeah. the end of your time at West Brom, it was actually Craig Shakespeare that you're playing under. Uh, of course, at the time, it was Gary Megson in, in charge of the first team, and yeah. he decided at the time that there was enough centre-backs in the team, and of course it was 
Craig's job as deliver you that news that you weren't going to sign on for extra contracts? What was that like at the time? It was difficult because I played reserves from the age of 14, 15. So before Gary come in, you know, the group of us that were each of the football club, um, he, he kind of wanted to go down a more experienced route, um, which was fair enough. And I think at that time, at that period in football, there wasn't a young man breaking through. So, yeah, it was really difficult because um, obviously Craig Shakespeare put me forward to get a contract and so did the reserve manager, but they didn't need a centre-half. So I got released. So it was kind of so difficult because I'd lived, I'd moved away from home. I'd lived in digs with the players and, you know, that was going to be the future and you could see your name in lights and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, one day, it's over. So, you know, it, it was it was really, really difficult and, and, and tough, to be honest. And I was fortunate enough that I had the mum that I've got because I was so down and kind of lost and she just picked me up and she was like, look, let's start writing letters, get yourself out there. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And it was lucky that one of the directors at West Brom, uh, a guy called Clive Stapleton, he owned a club in Denmark. And, you know, I've seen some of the directors and they liked me. They'd seen me play and they said, like, come trial. So I um, ended up going out on trial for there for two weeks and ended up living there for, for two years. So, yeah, it was a bit, <laughs> a bit different. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um... I'd like to just talk about Craig Shakespeare as well for a second. Of course, he's gone on to really great things in his career, managing Leicester for a period of time as well. What was he like, just as a person and as a, and as a manager? Yeah, it was his first job in there. I actually saw him, um, must have been about three or four years ago now, at, at St George's Park. We had a good old chat. and It was his first job. I mean, he had a group of 30 lads, and he was a great guy. I mean, he was... He used to join in training sometimes and he was quality as well. So, But no, he, he was he was fair with one. He, you know, you could see his style of play. I mean, you look at Leicester, I mean, he was that was him back then. So, But no, I think he was fair with everyone. He, he said when we had a chat and he said he'd, he'd wished he'd, he'd give us a bit more kind of coaching in a sense when he'd first come in, but it was his first job when he'd come in a Premier League team and there was like these 30 kids. So, But no, he was always great. He was always fair. And, you know, when he did, obviously when the time was that he let us go, he was straightforward, he was honest. And I think that's all you can ask for really, is someone just to, to give you an honest critique of yourself and then where you want to go from there. So, but no, he was a great guy. And then of course, like you mentioned a second ago, you went on trial in Denmark and moved abroad. What was, what was that like, making such a drastic move at such a young age as well? It was the biggest culture shock I've probably ever had in my life. In my life. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was odd. I, lived, I went to a team called Herfulia, and it was literally in the countryside. So they put me in a house this, um, with, with this couple, and you'd have to walk to training, and it was like a half an hour walk to training, and it was like in the middle of nowhere. So it, it was just weird. And we trained at night times, so... Um, yeah, it was, it was hard, to be honest. And, and the style of football is so much slower out there. So just to get used to that alone was really difficult. But And the weirdest thing was, we, we got out there, and I remember we used to finish training, and all the lads would sit in the clubhouse after training, oh, and, they'd be, and they'd be drinking and smoking. Well, obviously, I've come from like a freshened environment. So like when I was there, I was like, what is going on here? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and they're in the Danish Super League. So it, it was just weird, but... To be honest, I loved it. It, it made me. It made me grow up. Yeah, I was going to say, like, obviously, that the surroundings sounds like that really sort of like helped your development at a young age. But you mentioned like the football was was a lot slower as well. Would you say that that helped your progression as a footballer? Yeah, I think 
Uh, especially, you know, coming from the kind of youth team and the, and the reserves and stuff, we were 100 miles an hour. So, um, and then out in Denmark, it was not necessarily about physicality, but it was more about technical ability. So it helped me learn so many things like defensively. You know, one of my first training sessions, the goalie, his name was uh, Morton Kramer. And I remember someone shot and I've jumped and spit, spurt to block the shot. And he went absolutely crazy at me. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you spinning? He's walking out, you can go anywhere. So, and he just taught me how to use my body and spread my body well, just to block wow. shots and just, Little things like that really helped me progress. And it was something different because I think when you're a young lad kind of coming through, it's, it's all about contract, contract, contract. And the coaching kind of goes out the window a little bit. And, you know, and I went out there and it was a lot more technical. And Alan Nielsen, I don't even remember him. He's a centre midfielder for Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. He took over in my year there. Um, I mean, he was amazing. Some of the things he, he coached us and just playing in front of crowds. I mean, some of the crowds we played in front of 30, 40,000 fans was just... Wow. Something that I've never seen before. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it made me develop as a person more than anything. Just because I was living out on my own, I had to cook on my own. I was going to language school. I was learning a new language. Just everything. It was just. That's what it, I mean. It, it doesn't just, only make you. It doesn't only make you as a footballer, does it? It develops you as a person and a, and a way of life and a way of living. Yeah. When you when you're a young lad in England, especially coming through the academy system, everything's done for you. You yeah. cook, cook, cooking's done for you. You kits wash for you. Um, you don't have to do anything. Literally, all you have to do is play for. And then, so I was from that, then going abroad to in a put in a flat on my own, have to look after my own like finances, make sure I got paid for this, pay for bills, do all my own cooking, washing it. I know it sounds, you know, normal people do that on a daily basis. That's just normal. But, but yeah. I think for a footballer. You know, when you're not that, it's, it's such a big culture shock. But no, it made me grow up so much. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What 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 then prompted what then prompted you you move back to England then? Because obviously, Bournemouth Bournemouth were your next kind of destination. Um, yeah, it, of course, they're back in England. Yeah, what what prompted you you move back home? Um, for me, the pinnacle of football was England. Yeah. So. I always wanted to come back. So I was going out there to, to, to develop and then the idea was to come back. And I, to be honest, I wish I took in more in Denmark what I was doing because, you know, we were playing against Copenhagen, FC Midtjylland and we were playing against big teams and some of them in Alborg and players like that, they've been in the Champions League. They've been in the Champions League qualifiers. So I wish, I wish I took it in a little bit more, but I just wanted to come back to England to play. It was, that was, for me, that was my main goal. And it was lucky that my coach um, in my first couple of years, Joe Kelly, was assistant manager at Bournemouth. Right. So at the end of my time in Denmark, I just decided to, to pack my bags and come home. And I was hopefully going to get a trial somewhere. Wow. So again, my mum rang up Richard O'Kelly and <laughs> said... He's, he's coming back, he needs a trial. And, and we said, yeah, bring him in. So um, I, I went in in the pre-season and then lucky enough, um, Eddie Howe was actually kind of like a player coach there at the time and he was a big influence in me getting a contract as well. And then obviously I took off from North Korea from there. I mean, yeah, you signed for Bournemouth in 2005 under Sean O'Driscoll. Yeah. Um, yeah, what was, what was Sean like to work under? Um, I would say meticulous. He, um, his attention to detail was something I've never seen in my life. Really? Just, just, yeah, it was, you'd go training and timekeeping was like, for him, was vital. Well, I mean, I know it's for my, you'd turn up on the training pitch and you'd be there like a minute early and he'd be looking at you and he had this like death stare. And he'd look at you like, what are you doing? Why are you not here five minutes early? 
you you, wow. you, you run an out. And he, and he was he was like that. But he was he used to do these. Um, I remember we had a training session once, and we were doing set pieces. And obviously, I was set off, so I was back on the halfway line back then. I don't know why, because I, I should have been in the box scoring. But so anyway, I'm on the halfway line, and um, I was just chatting, obviously not paying attention as a kid, which I should have. So he, he's like, blues whistle, Josh. He's like, yeah. He's like, go and take the corners. I was like, what? He's like, go and take the corners. So you, you go over, and I was, I was like, all right then. He's like, right. So we had like four or five signals. He's like, right, signal one. I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> he's like, exactly. Stop messing around and concentrate. But he, he, every single player had to know every set piece, throw in, so it'd come out and he'd go, there are 22 cones, there's a throw in over there, now put where everyone is on the pitch, this throw in. And you'd have to know all that. De- I mean, his attention to detail was crazy. You'd have a wow. big dossier of the team on a Saturday. We'd go through all that. We'd go through match nights and everything. And he, he just, he was, you'd go out on a Saturday knowing everything. You were so confident going out on a Saturday because you knew what your man was doing. You knew which way he turned. You knew what foot he was. You knew how he'd shoot. You knew what the midfielder was going to do. He was like, for me, it was perfect. And, it, and he was just, his, his detail was amazing. And it, it made me grow as a player. And, and like going into managing, that detail was, is something that I would take into management. Yeah, you spoke about Eddie Howe there um, just, yeah. j- just a minute ago. Um, obviously a player coach. Very, done very, very well at, at, at Bournemouth yeah. um, in the Premier League. Could you always see that Eddie was going was gonna to go on and do as well as he has done? He was, he was very grounded. He was very um, sensible. I think he always looked at the game and, and, then he, and he read the game different to probably 95% of the squad there. So you could just see he had that about him. I think at the time, he, I, think, I think it was his knees. He had a problem with his knees or his ankle. So you could see that he was struggling um, and he was going to go into that. So you could see him, you know, I think he lent on Sean quite a lot and, and you know, in sessions and, and what Sean did and how he broke down the game. And you could see he was always going to go go that way at some point. Yeah, I mean, you obviously started the season with Bournemouth and, and you were in the side. Yeah. Um, I think it was October time that you you played Brentford away. Um, you actually ended up winning the game 2-0. Um, but yeah. for, for obviously for yourself, um, kind of the first real sight of a bad injury um, and and the injury unfortunately ruled you out for the rest of the campaign that must yeah. have been really really hard to take it, it, was, it was weird I've looked back on it now and I think it changed me my confidence wow. as a professional footballer so I'd, I'd come to Bournemouth and obviously I'd gone on trial and got a contract and I'd, I'd managed to work myself in the team and I was doing well and then you know, obviously, agent, my agents got involved at that point. And that game, there was a few clubs looking at me in it. And it was looking like I was going to go to the championship or the Premier League. Um, and I remember we trained on the Thursday and I started getting ill. Yeah. And I ended, I ended up getting tonsillitis. So I remember on the Friday, uh, I, I rang up and said, oh, I'm, I'm not great. I, I, I can't play. And um, Sean was like, well, you're in a team. We need you to play. And... As a kid, as you do, you, you kind of just go in and, and, and play. And I literally remember it. it we had the kickoff. We went to the, to the striker, back to Sunday midfielder, back to me. And I opened out and played a ball down the line. No one near me. 18 seconds into the game, and my knee popped. And um, I, remember it, I remember it being in the air. And it, I remember it coming out. And I remember it just wobbling back in like that. Oh. And, 
Yeah, I know. It was, a, it was horrendous. And, I, and <laughs> they could Yeah, I know. It was crucial, obviously. I, I did my um, ACL. And I remember put that one in the preview, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I remember, I remember getting put on a stretcher and I remember uh, all the Brentford fans thinking you'll never play again. So I was like, oh, decent. <laughs> wow. So we um, went back into the changing room and uh, I got on a physio bed and um, the doctor come in and he's, he's looked at my knee and he's done the tests and everything and it seemed fine and there was no pain so he said come off the bed jump on the spot so jumping on the spot I said jog on the spot jog on the spot jump from side to side jump from side to side and then in my head I thought I'm not injured what have I done like I've come off and there's nothing wrong with me so um, so I've got back in the changing room and I remember sitting in the dressing room and my leg up in the air and I remember my knee just go wham <laughs> Like that, it went massive. And then I remember I had my phone and I read my mum and I was just crying. I'm sounding like a bit of a mummy's boy right now, aren't I? <laughs> I remember I was just uh, crying down the phone saying, oh, my knee's gone. So the physio coming after the game and he said, look, we'll go for a scan and then um, scenarios, it'll be best case scenario, best case scenario. I was like, okay. So he told me then. And then we went for a scan on the Monday, I think it was. And then I got the results um, the same day. And I remember sitting in my... Um, sitting in my bedroom in Camford in Bournemouth and he rang me and he said, oh, I'm sorry, mate, but it's the worst case scenario. He said, you've cruciated your ACL. He said, it's complete tear, complete rupture. You're going to be out for 10 months. And that was just, yeah, that was obviously back then as well. ACL weren't as good as they are now. So for me, it was just like, I'm not going to play again for a year. Like it just, my whole world just kind of crumbled like massively. I just didn't know what to do with myself. Didn't know, you know, where I was. I'm quite a focused individual. So not having that, going out and training every day and, and having that game on a Saturday, it just broke me, to be honest. It did. It broke me for a while. You know, a good few months. I, I just wasn't in the same place. But it was lucky that I had um, Richard O'Kelly. So um, he, he gave me this book. And I remember and it, and it was just like a little notepad. And he said, I want you every day to write three positive things every day. Just three positive things. I'll look at it and, you know, just anything you can, whatever it is, anything. And that changed my life in a lot of ways. And whenever I feel bad or down now, and I'm starting feeling a bit, you know, having a bit of a wall, I'll get a book out and I'll sit down and I'll write positive things that, you know, I've done or I've got around me just to kind of boost my confidence and make me feel, you know, your mental health, just feel a bit better. And that was a real help for me. Would you say, like, as well, Richard's, Richard O'Kelly, you mentioned there, was really supportive? Yeah. Would you say that was, like, a common theme from all of those at Bournemouth? Like, that sort of support network that footballers, like, need in times when they're injured? Did you, would you say you received that? Yeah, I think, especially with Rich. Rich is, Rich is the most positive man I've ever met in life. <laughs> he's just the most positive guy. He just, he's amazing. He's, his energy, his enthusiasm for life, he just, he's just... It's just, I've never met anyone like him. And Bournemouth, when I was there, was, they were all like a family. They'd been together for, you know, many years. It was like Neil Young, Etch, obviously Eddie and, and uh, Jason Tindall, that was assistant manager now. And if you look at the backroom staff at Bournemouth now, they're all there. So um, I think Perch, Stephen Purchase is the under-23s, Eddie and obviously James uh, Tindall's the, the, the uh, management team. And then obviously um, Etch is head of recruitment. So you've got... They're all still there, so they, you know they, we had that bond at Bournemouth. It was it was such an amazing football club. It's an amazing place to live, and and you just you always had that sport, which was you know especially as a young lad, it's what you need. I mean, yeah, it being it obviously being Premier League now, 
Um, and like you say, it's got that real kind of family, family feel, yeah. family football club, opening yeah. and welcoming. Um, if you look back at your time at, at Bournemouth, um, is there any kind of stories that stand out for you that you think, oh yeah, definitely if I look back at my time at Bournemouth, that was, that was a real laugh or, or that individual was a real character? I've got one from Jill's, but the ones from Bournemouth I probably couldn't sound in podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah, because they were, they were a bit, um, yeah. <laughs> there was, to be fair, there was, there was, I remember we trained once and, and we were training, right? And we had this lad, I'm not going to mention his name, right? But we had this lad, he's a bit of a donor, and um, training, and we're thinking, where is he? And obviously it was with Sean, so like being late, it's just a no-no. Like you, you oh, just no. can't be late with this guy, right? So we're training. So we're training, 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 and we're thinking, where is he? Like he's not rang. No one knows where he is. Anyway, he rocks up halfway through the session. Like, mate, what are you doing? He was like, yeah, well, I'm doing something, which I'm not going to say what it is. Um, <laughs> I just need to finish. So um, I, I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he's all like, "Oh my god, yeah, he got fine." Put it that way. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Um, <laughs> um, we obviously speak about the good times at Bournemouth. Um, yeah, during the time that was, it was kind of coming to an end end for you, like your last season. Um, off yeah. the field matters. Um, it went a little bit sour, um, and as much as obviously you, yourself and the team were trying to to fight fight it um obviously off the field was was a big issue a 10 point deduction yeah. was hit um and ultimately the team were 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 pushed into the relegation zone and relegated um yeah. had they not been hit with a 10 point deduction you would have finished 15th because you went on an amazing run um yeah we did yeah how was that for players to kind of because obviously players don't like to speak about the off the field matters, but surely in that yeah. situation that you're, you're going out there week on week, you're in such good form, you know for a fact that whatever you're doing, these off the field matters are just going to pay complete like dividends to what is going to happen for you for the rest of the season. How was that to take as a as a, as playing squad and a management? And what did your manager manage to do to try and keep your spirits up? <laughs> Well, um, I was actually the PFA rep um, when this happened, and I was wow. working with the PFA and the club and the administrators um, wow. through it all. So um, we weren't getting paid. So obviously the club had no money, and you know for a long period of time the club couldn't pay the lads. So at that time the PFA stepped in and, and kind of loaned us for lads a pool of their salary just to get them, you know, to keep ticking over. I mean, I had to borrow money from people because I had a mortgage and, you know, we just, we, we weren't, you know, we just didn't have enough. So that was, for us, that was a real concern. And there were, there were, there were talks about, you know, people said to us and, and representatives said to us, you know, you can hand in your notice because you're not getting paid and leave. And not one member of the squad wanted to do that. So, because we all, you know, we're in it together as a, as a club, as a family, and we, and we wanted to kind of get out of the situation we were in. It was, a, it was a very difficult situation because, you know, no, you can't play for free. <laughs> so, you know, like, like you say, everyone had mortgages, family, and, and was to pay. So that was really difficult. But, you know, we, we really, we thought we were going to do it. We really did. We, we, we worked hard. We got results. You know, the start of the season, um, obviously, Sean left. 
um, and we were flying, we were doing really, really well. And then we just went on a really, really bad run. And then, you know, obviously the, the illustration happened and then we just, yeah, it just, it just turned kind of bad, I suppose. But the manager was funny. (laughs) He was, he was one of, um, yeah, he was, he was, he was a really, he was a cottony guy. So I remember he used to do team talk sometimes. When he was angry, he'd be like taking his clothes off. I was just getting more angry. And by the end of it. Who was this in charge? Who was this? It was uh, Kevin Bond. Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, by the end of it, he'd be start naked, running a raven. And by the end of it, because he, he was getting angry, he was just taking his clothes off as he goes along. And by the end, he's like, oh, for God's sake. Like, he's just there, like, start naked. And I'm like, is this guy for real? <laughs> but no. Oh, my God. It was. Uh, no, honestly, it was it was it was it was probably one of the saddest days of my career when we got relegated. I remember that's one of the days that we all kind of sat together and embraced each other when we, it was away at Carlisle, and we were really upset because we really believed we were going to do it. And then obviously that last game was just probably too far for us. But, but to be honest, it was probably the best thing that happened to the football club. Just going down, I think. I think because obviously we went down, and and, and obviously you know what's happened. You know, obviously. And, um, I think the brothers took over for a little bit and then obviously yeah. Eddie's come in and the club's just gone from strength to strength. So I think they needed to reset and I think that's what I gave them. And then of course, at the end of that season, you moved to Carlisle. Just tell us yeah. about that move and how it came about. Um, it was a weird one because I was, I wasn't sure whether or not, I, I mean, I, I did um, a thing online um, with warmer fans not long ago and I, w- I hadn't decided whether I was going to leave or not. But there were there were some things that season that happened um, regarding transfers and things like that with myself that kind of left a bit of a, a sour taste in my mouth. So I, I decided that I needed to move on, and you know I, I said I think I said in an article in the press that I wanted to move closer to home, and then ended up going to Son of Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, can't but, get uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a really weird one because I signed for Carlisle and then like literally a week later Millwall rang me and they were like oh we want to sign you and I was like oh, what oh no yeah but no I, I went up um, John Ward um, took me to Carlisle and I had a load of respect for John Ward but um, I remember I was on holiday and you know I was waiting for calls and nothing come and then it happened later on down the line towards the end of the holidays and I went up there and I looked around the place and you know and, and I looked on well with John but my gut, something in my gut told me not to sign. But I'd, 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 when you talk about agents in football, they do have a, a kind of, and don't get me wrong, I'm my own man. But at that age, you know, you can be pushed to do things sometimes. And, you know, we had a, I had a chat with my agent. He was like, you've got to do it, you've got to go. You know, they're just, I think they just lost in the playoffs to go in the championship that year. So Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, and, and I just thought, oh, I've got to do it. And I signed and I walked out and, Somebody in my gut told me not to do it. And obviously it was right because I'd, I'd, I'd gone there and I'd just played about four games there and it just wasn't a right fit for me. And, and, I, and I wish I'd never been there. I mean, Ron Carlisle's a great place and I've had some great... I mean, one of my best friends is one of the players from... was one of the ex-players from Carlisle. So it's given me a lot of things. But I think from a professional point of view and football point of view, I probably should have waited and gone somewhere else. Mm. I mean, of course, you ended up spending most of the season on loan at Hereford United. Was that... Yeah. more of a case of was it more of the push factor of you weren't enjoying it at Carlisle or was it or was there something that really drew you to Hereford out of probably a host of clubs that might have been after you um, yeah I mean I was I was not happy um, at Carlisle I was a bit disillusioned to be honest um, 
And again, the, the worst thing, um, John Truick was the assistant manager at Hereford. So um, I'd had a few offers um, from a few different clubs, but John, I knew John. Um, and, I, and at that time, I needed to be with someone that I knew, you know, that I could trust and that I know I would enjoy playing for. So for me, it was a perfect fit. And I've gone in there and I just enjoyed my football again. And, and it just gave me that kind of buzz and, and that excitement to play again. And obviously from then, obviously, I moved to Jill's. Yeah, you did. You signed, uh, you obviously signed for my... I was in Gilles in, uh, in 2009. Um, Mark Stimson, of course, was the man- manager in charge in the summer. Um, yeah, what drew you, how did the move come about and, and what drew you to Gillingham? Well, Mark rang me, actually. Um, he rang me. I was on, I was actually on a training camp. I'd gone back to Carlisle um, for the pre-season and I was on a training camp. He just rang me, he just said, I like obviously we'd love to get you down and I had a good old chat with him really and he just seemed like a really decent guy so um, it was just a no-brainer for me obviously they're in League One same league at Carlisle and then I just it was a big, it's a big football club and you know it's, it's, it's got a proud history and I, I just thought I've, I've got to jump at it so um, I spoke to the manager at um, Carlisle I'd actually had a really good pre-season so the manager wanted me to stay at Carlisle um, and I just said look um, I'm not happy here and you know, I want to go. And then obviously I ended up going on loan there for, for a period and then signed permanent. Yeah, obviously Jules picked you up in that summer. Um, yeah. They've just been promoted, obviously. Yeah. Um, good squad. Uh, Simeon Jackson, yeah. Andy Barcham. Um, yeah. lot, obviously Simon, Simon King. Um, unfortunately then uh, he, got him, he got himself injured, unfortunately. Uh, Barry Fuller. Um, obviously doing very well at Jules now um, and then obviously the opening day come and we went and obviously whacked Swindon 5-0 um, you must have thought you must have thought wow they, this is this, this is the dream move what did you make of the squad and and, and the ambitions of, uh, of the club going into that season if you look at that squad I mean the players there you like you say you say Barry Fuller Kingy uh, Mark McCammon Curtis Weston and yeah. um, obviously Simeon I mean we had what a squad it was Barchi I mean we had an unbelievable squad and we had so much flair it was yeah. it was frightening you know the, the goals we got and but the only problem was <laughs> we couldn't win an away game which was just it, it was the, the most bizarre season I've ever like at home we were unbelievable and then away from home we just we just couldn't replicate our home form it was such a strange, strange season what did you put that down to about about obviously the waveform? Um, we were very, we were very, very, very good at home, and we obviously yeah. we we beat Southampton, we beat Leeds, yeah. we took a point yeah. off Norwich. Yeah. Um, we would, yeah, we were unbelievable at home and blow teams away, and then it would come to an away game. Do you think it was the fact of it was almost we didn't have the squad didn't have the crowd behind them or was it after it was three, four and five, it was kind of that mental block of, we can't get ourselves out of this. Yeah, I definitely, that mental side of it had a lot to do with it. I also think sometimes we kind of like, we, we, we're so attacking and we kind of went good and ho at home, didn't we? We just went up. And I think sometimes we probably did that a bit too much away from home. Yeah. And I just, you know, some of the games, could we have just kind of been a bit more... I don't know because I think you should go and win every but 
could we have been a bit shop shop a little bit more, been a bit more organised and a bit more solid, and then hit people on the break maybe. So, but I think like you say, when you get to like three, four, five, six games away from home and you ain't got a win, then it becomes that mental side of things and you go a goal down and you're like, oh, we're not going back here. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that snowballed up with our season that season. You said you were going to tell us a story, Josh, from your time at Gillingham. <laughs> Come on in, mate. <laughs> I want to hear it. <laughs> I'm not going to say who the manager was. So, <laughs> and I'm not going to say who the players were. So I remember we played at we, we home. It was one that actually rarely lost at home. And um, I think it was like I think it was like two one or or one nil. I can't remember what the score was anyway. And I remember like the pitch after, and I got man of the match. And I remember oh, like gutted we'd lost, but like I remember the last twenty minutes of the game, I was running around everywhere trying to get up front, trying to score, trying to get back in the games. But walking back to the changing room, thinking we're going to get it, but I'm not going to get it because I've kind of done all right. So um, anyway, I'm last in the dressing room, and the man like going at it with the players and I, I sat down and I thought he's not going to say anything to me so I walked in sat down and, and then the manager's gone oh here he is I thought oh no <laughs> here he is been man of the match what a joke Flip, that sums up our fans that does you man of the match and I was like so it's like I was like what I was like so I said to him what do you mean man of the match like do you not think I've run around like worked hard and wild nah joke joke absolute joke so I was like it's gone for real. So anyway, he turned around to another guy and he's gone, and you, absolute disgrace. And no lie, the guy has turned around and he's gone, oh, here we go. And he's gone, oh. the manager's gone, what? And he's gone, oh, you're boring. You're boring me. And all the lads have gone, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, and all the lads are just like, you could hear the lads just go, oh, and just went deathly silent. And he went, you what? He's gone, yeah, you were me. You're boring me. And we were all like, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. So then I've jumped in and gone, oh, crap. I don't think he meant it like that. I think he, just, I think he misinterpreted what he meant. And he's gone, turn around to me. He's gone, shut up. So I've gone, oh, quiet. Now I'll, I'll just sit down. I'll be quiet. And he's gone, oh. And then, and then, then the manager's gone, boring you, am I? He's gone, yeah, you come in every week. And all you do is pick on the same players all the time. Every week, you're boring. So the manager's just stood there like, well, where do I go from here? <laughs> so he turned around to the lad next to me and he goes, and you, waste the money we've had at this football club. And the lad's gone, you what? And he's gone, yeah, biggest owner at the club. How many goals you got this year? A couple of goals. Rubbish. So the lad's gone, what are you talking about my money for? And he's gone, I'll talk about what I want. And he's gone, no, you can't. You can't talk about my money. And the manager's gone, what are you going to do about it? God. And the lad's gone, no, what am I going to do about it? Oh, then me and you now outside. Oh, no. manager, right? And this guy was massive, right? So he took his shirt off. He's got content. Let's go outside now. So he's walked out and the goalie coach has opened the door for him, left the door open. So the lad's standing out of the tunnel and the manager's just gone to go out, right? So the, one of the lads went up to him and gone, no, go back, no, go back. He's like, I love him, I love him. And the lad's like, I know you love him, I know you love him. The lad's about this big. He's like, I love him. So the gaffer's pretending to like get out. Obviously he ain't going And uh, we're sitting there like, what is going on here? Oh. <laughs> Gone off, right? So anyway, it's all calmed down. We've gone back in and everyone's gone home. The lad's rang me and he's gone, never guess what? I've gone, Gaffer's rang me and apologised. And we're like, oh my God. <laughs> that was the most weirdest end of end of game team talk I've ever seen. It was bizarre. <laughs> that is, wow. That, yeah. is un, that is unbelievable. Um, 
I'm glad, obviously, I'm, I'm glad you didn't mention any names because we don't want to be getting into that. Um, yeah, let's um, yeah, let's talk about um, let's move on from not winning away. Um, yeah. You obviously we spoke about it before we come on air. We spoke about that Southampton game. Um, yeah, <laughs> very weird. I remember being in the rainy end that day. You went and scored to made it two one. Scored a header. Um, Jumps into the rain end. I think, oh, right. like, yeah, yeah. Um, still remembers it. Still, still, still reminisces it. Um, jumps into the rain end. Um, pitch invade. Um, yeah. Everyone thought Gillingham was staying up, um, and then obviously the results come through after the final whistle, and like triple Gillingham fans had not worked out the results right, <laughs> and um, realised that realised that we needed. Yeah, we needed actually a result at Wickham. Um, yeah. That kind of, that whole week from the start of the Southampton game to yeah. that Wickham game, the end of the Wickham game at 5pm, must have yeah, been yeah. the weirdest yeah. week of emotions of, in, of your lifetime. Yeah. It was, to be fair, leading up to the Southampton game, because I'm big on, I, I do like visualisation and meditation and all that stuff. So I'd actually visualise me scoring in the Southampton game for like a week prior. I've just been visualising, visualising, visualising. So when it happened, it felt like I knew it was going to happen. I know it sounds a bit weird, but it's kind of what I like. So obviously we'd scored it and in my mind, that's it was safe. Yeah. And then obviously you come back in the changing room and you're like, oh my God, like... And then, and then, obviously, with your record away from not winning away all season, yeah. you just like so. It, it was it was a it was a nervy week because obviously Wickham were already on, and and sometimes they're harder to play against because they were free. They were already down. They knew they were down already, and they could just go and express themselves. And their, and their front three was an absolute joke as well. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, you know, we'd gone into the game. I remember Simeon missed sit up right up. in the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah put it over the like, bar. Yeah. Yeah. And then that just makes you nervous because you're like, oh, no. Because you, <laughs> like, you then, put your house, your mortgage, like your yeah, keys, your him. car on him scoring. Yeah. But it was a bit of a weird one because when we got the, when we announced the team, it was very attacking. And, and we were, I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> let's just get a point. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking is, we need a point. Let's just get a point. And yeah, the game just didn't turn out. Obviously, the way we wanted it, and it was just devastating at the end of the season. And you know, you look at the squad and you look around the dressing room, and you think of the players we had, and you just think, How is that happened? Yeah. And that's just football, yeah. just in the blink of an eye, it just changes. And yeah. you know, to be so, like you say, so dominant and commanding at home, and then you've got to go to Wickham, we're already relegated, you put your house on it. Yeah, they're all relegated, you need a point to, to go and, and keep you safe, and it just didn't happen. And it was just, just deflating, like, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, Mark Simpson yeah. lost his job. Um, yeah. Andy Hessenthaler come in. Um, of yeah. course, had a proud history with a football club, done very, very well in the championship um, yeah. as player manager. Yeah. yeah, how was it under Hess? He was just, he was passionate, passionate guy. He's got that little horse husky voice in him, so he growled a lot. So, <laughs> but um, that, he, um, he wanted to play a tempo. Um, he, he wanted that full commitment, and I think that was one of the big things that he asked for was that you know that 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 commitment. So it was a different style of play. It was a different type of manager than what I'd had before. Um, he was a lot more aggressive, and um, so it was for me for my learning experience. It was good to have someone different. 
um, you know, in that way to, to look at things from a different perspective. So obviously, you know, I ended up leaving at the end of the season, but, you know, I, I enjoyed, you know, my whole time at Jules, to be honest. Yeah, obviously, um, that year was also a, a weird year because we we just missed out on the playoffs. Um, yeah. But we had two of the best league strikers in Conor McDonald and, and obviously yeah. Bayo. Um, yeah. Cody, Cody, it was the first time that we'd come across Cody. Um, yeah. In terms of he was, he was on loan from Norwich. But boy, what a year. Um, what a year that those two had. What were, yeah. what were them two like, like, to, like to play with? I remember the time I played up against Bayer was he was at Northampton. And I was, at, I think I was at Bournemouth actually. And I remember the ball's gone into him. And I've come in behind him just to like to get tied to him. And I've hit his back and I've winded myself. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> I was like, this guy is strong. So I remember that. And then uh, when he signed for Jills, I was buzzing because I knew what he was. Yeah. Um, and he was just in training. You just, but you know what? The thing with Bayer, which he doesn't get credit for, is his feet. His, his manipulation of the ball and his footwork is, is excellent. But because he's such a big guy, people don't see that. And I still play now. I mean, he's at Wickham now and he's scoring goals. And he was, he's so good with his feet. But he just brought people into play. And I think he worked so well with Cody because Cody could just feed off him. Bayer would suck in centre arse and, and Cody could just get off him and Cody was just a natural goal scorer just natural and he was just a, he was just a lovely lad but he just I think that partnership was you know probably one of the best partnerships I, I, I've seen for a long time I mean when you made your move actually permanent at Chillingham <clears throat> it was yeah. only, I believe was it two days after you signed a loan extension at the club like what what was it that made you think in your mind like oh, I actually want to make the switch here permanent straight away after you'd already signed that extension um, I'd, I'd come in and it was just the lads the group we had I think the group the, you know the banner in the dressing room there was a real togetherness about the group and it was just you know the, the, it was just a, it was a really well organised football club it was a big football club the crowd were great you know you're getting eight, ten thousand at home every week and things like that it was just such a big club for me and and I don't know, it just felt right. It just, I just felt like I was at home. I had good friends there. I'd, I'd fitted in well and it just, yeah. And that's why I, I'd obviously done the loan and I spoke to the manager and he said to me he wanted to sign me permanent. And I was just, I was like, yeah, let's get it done. I mean, like you said, um, at the end of the season, after you'd spent the season with Hess, Cody, Akinfilm yeah, yeah. and the rest, um, you initially, I think you initially went on loan, didn't you, to, to Lincoln? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah ha- uh, how how did that move come about? What, obviously, you've done you, you've done well at Jules. Um, yeah, at, but why Lincoln? Um, well, I've got there on loan, and Steve Tilson uh, was the ex um, South End manager, um, and I just you know I it spoke about the plans of the football club and, and and what they were looking to do, and I had some league offers and stuff, but I just. I just found it was right. I just, I just, you know, everything about it, everything about the club, him, especially him. I, I, I'm a big on signing, you know, and where I've gone is as I've got older, it's for the managers, and, and I just I built in and I bought him completely to to what he believes in, and, and that's why I signed. There. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, Link, yeah, Lincoln have obviously done very well um, under uh, under under the or were under the Cowley brothers. Um, yeah. What what did you ever? Co- Kind of see them when when you was at Lincoln because um, yeah. you you was there quite a while. Um, did you ever kind of see them where where they where they were going 
like in terms of is that one of the reasons why uh, potential wise that you saw that because at the time they're in the conference right were they in the conference when you signed yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so no, well, I want to know the league two and then the conference yeah yeah that, yeah so did you ever kind of then see that potential that they could they could go back to the football league and and ultimately obviously now they're in league one so yeah I mean if you look at if you look at the, the crowds they get and the games they get they're they're a big football club and they just does my missus just pops in it. Uh, yeah, they're they're a big football club, so they they had the infrastructure to to go on. They just needed um, a cash injection, which they they've had now, and you know now they're obviously where they are. So you know you look at that and you look at it was really weird because when I was at Lincoln, Grimsby the biggest Lincoln, yeah, and yeah. and it, it was really weird, and and I, and then it changed when I went over to Grimsby. Obviously, Lincoln were then not as big as as Grimsby, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it always had the potential to, to, to be massive. The fan base was always there and the infrastructure was there. So it was, it was only a matter of time before they then obviously through the ranks. Now, when we were doing our research, Josh, um, it said that you'd signed a two-year contract with Lincoln um, yeah. but in, 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 in 2011. But by yeah. August 2012, um, it was, it was mutually, mutually terminated. Um, yeah. Do you want to kind of just tell us what, what happened at Lincoln? Why? Yeah, because obviously, yeah, uh, being a, that's only that's only a year as such, isn't it? A year at bat, yeah, a year is in, into a two-year contract. Do you want to explain the best as you can what happened? I just, I just think it was just a it was just those things. Obviously, I'd signed um, with Steve Tilson, yeah, um, as you know, I was his signing, his marquee signing, and I was captain of the football club. And then, obviously, a new manager comes in, and they've got their own ideas and the things they want to implement. And it was just that, really. I mean, it wasn't there wasn't anything kind of broad, I suppose. We just we just obviously two different people, and he he decided he wanted to have his signings in, and you know, I went the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did. You went and signed for you went and signed for Kidderminster. Yeah. Um, I mean. There's the the success you had at Kidderminster was this this is probably I'd go uh, certainly looking at you, looking at your career bar, bar the Grinsby one this is a great success yeah. story for you at Kidderminster. Um, obviously you went in um, you went and got correct me if I'm wrong I think you ended up actually um, in the conference team of the year um, yeah your first season there um, yeah. you struck up a, a great partnership with the now Wigan Athletics. Shay Dunkley. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your time at Kidderminster. Um, yeah, it was obviously a great three-year spell there, there for you. Yeah, I mean, manager Steve Burr, so he's my assistant now, so I brought him back, wow. back with me. So yeah, yeah. It was if you look at if you look at our squad, our squad was frightening. So we had um, obviously Shay Dunkley, and we had yeah. um, who else? Mickey Demetrius at uh, Newport. We had Jamil Matt. We had Marvin Johnson. Wow. We had John Lolly. We had uh, Michael Gash, who's now, uh, I think he's at um, uh, Kings Lynn. So we had, the, the squad we had was a very, very squad. And we went, I think at one point we were the informed team in Europe. I think we went on like 23 wins on the bounce or something crazy. So but it was really weird because I'd gone there after, I think the first five games in the season, they'd lost all five games. So bottom of the table. And then I come in and then we drew five on the bounce. And oh, then you, we wasn't there. it, Josh? All you. It was all me. It was all me. I keep telling everyone it was all me. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but um, it was it was like, you know, speeds about that that year. He always knew 
because obviously he was under a bit of pressure because the first 10 games we hadn't won. So he always knew that we were going to come good. It was just a matter of time. And I remember my first training session, I'd, I'd come in um, and obviously I'd, I'd come from Lincoln, which is a, at the time was a lot bigger club than Insta. And I, I thought I was going to walk in there and I was going to be like, obviously better than a lot of the other players. And I remember the first training session and I thought, wow, I've got to get up to speed. The, the, the tempo, the train, everything about them, they were just, it was professional. They, the quality in the dressing room was just unbelievable. And again, the success team is down to the team spirit. The team spirit was second. And I mean, I speak to a good amount. I mean, I still speak to Dunks, I speak to Mar sometimes, and Jamil I speak to, Joe Lolly sometimes, and we all still speak. And that's a testament to that to that dressing room and the type of football we played. I mean, Steve would literally leave me and Dunks on the halfway line, 2v2 at the back, and everyone else would just go and attack. So it was, it was a very attacking football. But it was, yeah, I mean, it's weird because if you turn... The first 10 games, we got five draws and, and five losses. And you turn one of them to win, to wins, we get promoted. Because we lost out, well, I think it was one point or two points at the end of it. So it was yeah. crazy. I mean, you speak about those characters there. The likes of Shea Dunkley, Joe Lolly, Jamil Matt. Um, obviously, gone on to have very, very, very good careers. Obviously, Joe and, and, uh, and Shay are playing at the championship level. Um, yeah. did, you, did you know then that they were going to go on and and play and play at that sort of level they are playing now yeah especially especially Dunks and um, yeah and Joe definitely um, Joe was a funny one so when Joe first came in I, I kind of what club he come from he come from like a, 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 non, a real non-league club and I remember he used to come in and he'd, he'd have like he'd have his breakfast and he'd be like a Kit Kat or like um, a like pot noodle for lunch. And I'd be like, Joe, you're living like a student. Like, you can't do this anymore. Like, and I used, to, I, used to, I used to be on him all the time. I was like, look, you need to start eating better. You need to start eating right, because it's just not, you just can't do it. Like, come on. And he's honestly, he's coming, he's coming, he's heard up for that, and he'd just be like dopey and just going around, eating his chocolate. And something clicked with him. But he was, he was honestly, he'd cut, in, he'd cut in on the right, and you know he'd chop in. And he was just so sharp. I've never known a player as sharp as Joe. And he, he just knew he was going to go on to bigger and better things. And Donks just had the enthusiasm. He just, he had the stature, he had the pace. He just, he wanted to learn the game. He'd always ask questions and he knew he was going to go on to another level. And I'm so glad to see both of them have, have, have gone on a lot. Obviously, Donks has been a bit unfortunate because obviously had that leg break uh, recently. But Joe will play in the Premier League. 100%. Wow. I believe Joe will play in the Premier League one day. That's a big shout. So when we put this yeah. out there, and then we tag yeah. we tag Joe in it. Yeah, big statement from you in it. <laughs> no pressure, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and Jacob, you obviously <laughs> like to hear that about Shay. Um, oh, yeah. Jacob's an Ulster fan, so um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Talk about the season then. That that first season, Josh. You, you say you had you had you won one more game, you you would have got would have yeah. got Kilmarnock to promoted. Um, you obviously hit the playoffs. Yeah. Um yeah. unfortunately it came down to Wrexham. Um yeah. and 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 you ended up losing out to Wrexham. Um yeah. yeah. What was it like playing in the playoffs because obviously players speak about the pressure of the playoffs. Yeah. Is it is it do you feel it as 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 players as as pressure? Yeah, definitely. In the I think that season, that season was a weird season so I think to be honest, I think we got into that to that playoffs, those playoffs. We put everything in to get promoted. I mean, we got ninety something points. 
and we'd literally put everything into it. And I just think when we when we were deflated going into the playoffs, to be honest, I think we lost it on the last day. So we, I think we beat Stockport six 0 or something. And I remember Mansfield played. I think it might have been Rex the kids. So Mansfield won one nil or two one, wherever it was, and we were just deflated. To be honest, I think we'd put so much into that season, and I, I, we just couldn't go that little extra bit. And I, really? and I, I think that, was, yeah, it was it was disappointing to the season because of the season we had, we yeah. won. You know, literally, I think I'd lost that that season. Take the playoffs out of it. I think I'd lost one game all season. Which no, it shocks you, doesn't it? Because a, lo- a lot of yeah. the time, a lot of the time, a lot of teams hit the playoffs in very, very good form and then yeah. they will just go and no one can stop yeah. them. But obviously, like you say, it was completely different for yourself because because you put so much into it, expected yeah. promotion. When you didn't get it, yeah. it hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, yeah we would have been better off finishing third or fourth, knowing we we're going to get a playoff place and preparing yeah. for that. Yeah. But I think because we'd spent, we'd just been on it, on it, on it, yeah. trying to win, trying to win. We're going to win the league, we're going to win the league. And then the last game of the season, you lose out like that. It was gutting. Yeah. It was absolutely gutting. So then we'd gone into the season. Obviously, we still had the confidence to think we were going to win, but I just think it was maybe a step too far for us. But that was probably the one season from the uh, season at uh, Grimsby that I just didn't think we were ever going to lose a game of football. No matter who we played, we just walk on the pitch and we just we, we just knew we were going to win. Obviously, fast forward, Josh. Um, fast forward a little bit um, to to the twenty fourteen fifteen season. Um, you, you took you took the captain's armband, but you also took a player coach role. Um, yeah, for, for Kidderminster. Um, what was your, what was your thought process behind behind that then? Taking that that kind of role, it's obviously a different role. Yeah, it was so the managing, coaching, all that kind of stuff was something I, I want to go into. Um, I want to go into, and I've been kind of gearing up for it for a while with doing my studies and all that stuff. So when it was when the manager pulled me and said, "Would you be interested?" I, I you know, I jumped at the chance. I have you know analysis, tactics, taking training, and all that kind of thing. I, you know, I read this opportunity, and um, I, to be fair, I loved it, and hope my training sessions weren't bad. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was a great season. It was a lot because obviously I was playing, I was captain, and then I was, <clears throat> I was coaching as well. So it was a lot of orders. But you know, I, I, I relish, I relish that, and, I, and you know, I, re- I did really enjoy it. I mean, yeah, in twenty fifteen, um, you you then left um, Kidderminster um, and you joined yeah. you joined Grimsby on loan um, yeah. initially. Um, yeah, how, how did the, how did the move come about, and and why Grimsby? Um, so the assistant manager um, at the time was a mutual friend uh, I knew a mutual friend so um, he'd give me we, I think he'd they'd done a deal at Kidderminster that I didn't know okay so um, because I thought I was sorting out a new contract with Kidderminster so um, and then yeah a lot went into it anyway but I didn't it was done beyond my back basically and then um I ended up, I ended up going in the end, um, and then so yeah, that, that's how it came about. Really, the, the, I knew the assistant manager there, and um, he's a good friend, still a good friend now, and yeah, so I, you know, I went in there. Yeah, I mean, you scored in your debut, didn't you? For Grimsby. Um, yeah, I mean, 
in uh, May May of that year, you then signed permanently for the football club. Um, yeah. Am I correct to say? Obviously, before we jumped before we jumped on here and started recording, um, you said a little bit yeah. about about Bristol Rovers. Was it? Um, yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd contacted me. Um, the choice between the two clubs. Um, I had a suspension, so um, they they wanted me they wanted me to go before I think Grimsby come in. So I was going to Bristol, um, um, but I had a suspension. I had a two game ban, and the, the, the third game back was Kidderminster. So it would have meant I would have missed three games. So right. really, Bristol it was only like ten games after the season or whatever it was. So I would have missed a good portion of the season. So we 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 spoke and we just said, yeah, that's not going to happen. So um, obviously that fell by the way. So I think obviously Grimsby got involved, and then obviously I went to Grimsby. Yeah, I mean, you you like making impressions on football clubs, don't you, Josh? Because you then went and earned uh, a place again in the team of the year in 2015-16 yeah. season. Um, yeah. But you went one better this time. Um, you yeah. played at the home of football yeah. um, against Forest Green, um, and and you went and beat them three one. I mean, talk about talk about that season um, because we've got quite a lot of followers followers that have followed us recently, and I'm sure they'd love to hear about that season um, because that obviously yeah, yeah. propelled them into the football league. Um, yeah, tell, yeah. Tell tell us about that whole season. Tell us about any stories. Tell us about the lead up to the playoffs and the playoff final. So we, I think we looking off that. The obviously the, I came in on loan the year before, and yep. then obviously we went into that year, and we were looking off that we pretty much retained the majority of our squad. So you know we had that togetherness already, and and what Paul has created was an environment where we all were friends. We'd all go out and socialise. We're in a WhatsApp group to this day, and we all still in a WhatsApp group. So wow. um, yeah, and we just we all wanted to play for him. I think that was the biggest thing I would say is we all wanted to play for him. Everyone would room for a brick wall for Paul Hurst. He was just, he was a great guy. You could speak to him. He was accommodating to everyone. Um, Doigie was, he's just, he was a more angry. <laughs> everyone used to get on a Doigie and he used to wind him up. But um, we were just, yeah, we just had a great togetherness and training was really competitive. You wanted to win in training, you know, there would be tackles flying in, goals going in, you know, it was just, it was amazing. It was just an amazing season and we'd go into games and because we had that togetherness, we'd push each other through and, you know, if if someone wasn't pulling their weight, then we'd make sure they were and, you know, if someone was having a bad game, we'd, we'd chip in and help them out. But what I remember is pre-season, I remember we went to a local team. I can't remember what the local team was. I remember having a phone call with my friend after and I said, we'll get promoted this year. Because of the squad we had, I mean, the squad was just you know obviously we had Podge, he just scores goals for fun. Obviously Omar, and to be fair, Omar was a weird one, Omar Bogle, because he didn't play a lot that season. But then when it comes to the back end of the season, the important start of the season, he just took off, and he was he was you know he was frightening. And obviously we had a game player, yeah. Um, you know we just had a wow for talent in the team. Tyler Entiallo then went on, and I think he's a. He was, at, he was at Ipswich, but he was, at, he was at Leonard Bolton. Yeah. And um, we, just, we just had such a togetherness. The playoffs were the most nerve-wracking thing, the final ever. The pressure. It was weird because we we, we got to the playoffs. It, that was a bit, a bit of a different thing with Kidderminster because we knew we weren't going to win the league. Yeah. And I think about four games, four or five games before the end of the season, we thought, right, we need to concentrate on the playoffs. 
So we kind of let the league slip away. Think we're going to go off and, and, and do that. So I remember we played Braintree at home, the first leg, and I'll give a penalty away. And I was like, oh my God, like, what have I done here? Um, the pressure that season from the fans, because they they wanted to be in the Football League so much, um, you know, over the years. And the pressure you felt going into every game was like no other football club. The, 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 I mean, the supporters, I mean, the, my, my debut when we played Alton away, I mean, the fans we talk, but our way support was crazy at Grimsby. They're just another level, the fans are, and they live and, and, and breathe for football. So we, we, we got in that first leg at home and we lost 1-0. And I remember there's banners everywhere for Hursty out. Um, and they wanted <laughs> some, of, some of the fans wanted the manager sacked. So it was like, oh, and we played Braintree twice that year and we'd not scored a goal. So obviously you go into the second leg at Braintree thinking, hit them three times, we've not been and we've not scored. And you're thinking, oh my God, like we've got it all to do here. So um, I remember that game, it was boiling hot, it was roasting. But we had, the following at the back of the goal was unbelievable. And then um, I'd give a penny away. So that was on my mind, like I've got to get back into it. And I remember we had a corner um, and it come in and the guy was holding my shirt and I was going, ref, ref, he's holding my shirt. And he, for some reason, the guy just, I don't know what I'm with him, like made a movement and he just had my shirt and I've gone down and he's given a penalty. So I was like, oh, brilliant. So Pod scored. So like, well, we're back in it. So, um, and then we've gone up, we've gone up, and then we've um, a corner. And I remember um, I've told Omar to come and stand next to me. So Omar's, Omar's standing next to me and um, I've gone to move and I've stood, and you watch the video, I've stood on his Marcus toe by accident. And his Marcus fell over and then Omar's gone through, headed in, scored. So I was like, oh, extra time, brilliant. So um, obviously we won the game and it was just, honestly, all the fans on the pitch and that was our playoff final. Wow. Because of the amount of pressure we had, we hadn't, we hadn't beat them all season, we hadn't scored a goal. That was our playoff final for us. It, it, was, it was, we knew we were going to win the final after we'd won that game. And we, we, we got back in the, in the dressing room after the game yeah. and the gaffer was in there. He's, he's quite calm, Hurst he was. He goes off now and again, but he's calm. And um, we've gone in there and he's walked in and we'll sit like that. And he's got up on the ceiling and you know those strobe lights? Yeah. yeah. He's pulled the strobe light down and he's gone, bang, come on, like that. And then the whole room is just erupted. And everyone was just bouncing around the dressing room. It was unbelievable. It was, honestly, it was unbelievable. But it's funny enough, the two managers of Brain the Cowley brothers. And then um, I'd got into the dressing, their dressing room after the game and just like said, congratulated them because what they did at Brains was unbelievable. It was, but a yeah. club like that, to get to the playoff semi-finals was just frightening. And, you know, I congratulated them and I wish them all the best because what they're doing was just unbelievable. But yeah, and then obviously we got to the, the playoff final and we, we were in a hotel in, at, um, in London and we were nervous. Like we we got up there day four and it was good. We, we decided to go to Wembley two days before the final. And I think that helped because we'd, we'd gone, you know, looked around, walked around the dressing room and all that stuff, which was great. And I think it, that got that out of the way. But, um, and then the day of the game, the women's, the, the, the change room that we trained in was the, the FA Cup, the FA Cup winners won in our dressing room. So we're like, oh, well, buzzing. So we've got on the coach and we're going to the game I can only say it was deaf silence, not deafly silence uh, on, on the coach. And we were just so nervous. And then this video played 
And for me, this is, obviously we thought we were going to win the final anyway, but for me, this is what changed everything for us. And they played a video with, like, I who the um, media guy was, but we played this video and it was just like all the best bits from the season. So like, we've really like music, like amazing music and it was just all our best bits and it was all coming together, scoring goals and different things during the season. And that just calmed us down. Mm. And it was like electric and we were bouncing and then we got there and then we just, we were just ready. I remember we scored early and then we scored again and me and Toto were looking at each other and we just wound up on the pitch while we were playing and we were like, like proper wound up, like emotional on the pitch. And we're thinking, flipping out, there's like 60 odd minutes to play here and we think we've done it. So wow. After tuning up and we're thinking, oh, we've got this. And then obviously we come out second half and they scored. And then that was, that was squeaky bong time. That was, that was like, oh wow. Like we're in trouble here. And, and then, Obviously, then Nate's gone through at the end, and Nate had been through. Nathan Arnold had been through that season. Lost his mom, and he'd been, he'd been through a lot of a lot of struggles that season. And, and to see Nate go through at the end and score that goal, I just it never happened to a better person. And and he needed that. I think Nate needed that more than anyone else in the squad. Nate needed that, and and when he put that in, the relief more than anything, it was the relief that we'd done it for the fans because we'd had that pressure and we knew how much it meant to them. Like we just. It was just, it was yeah, just like there's a, great pi- there's a great picture of you as Nathan puts the ball in the back of net to make it three one. There's a great yeah. image of you that BT then turned to of you basically in the dugout with 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 the coaching yeah. staff. Um, yeah, was it a sense of was it a kind of a sense that like we're a family and we've done this together? Yeah, hundred percent. We were just. I know Hersey, the, the famous ear cupping incident that fans will never forget because obviously they, they wanted him to... <laughs> Hersey made a comment a while ago that our fans will spoil and I think that never kind of quite left uh, with some of the fans to so say a bit of a gripe with it and obviously we yeah. lost in the, in, in the, uh, the semi-finals at first obviously some of the fans would say they wanted him out so obviously we'd, we'd won and he like, cupped his ears at the end so I don't think the fans are best pleased with that but it was just... We knew the pressure and we felt the pressure from all the fans and we knew how much it meant to obviously ourselves, but to them, like the community, like our community, community they, they wanted it so bad. And, you know, you still get people messaging now saying that like, that's the, the best day of their lives. And I, I didn't wow. enjoy the day. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it at all. I can honestly say that, like, I did not enjoy the game, but the relief on that final whistle when that final whistle went was something I never felt before. And I was just fortunate that like, my mum's been through loads of things with me through my career, like from when I was little, taking me to games and all that stuff. And that was, I could have retired that day, me. Like from my mum seeing me lift that trophy and get promoted at Wembley in front of all those fans was just, for me that, there, there's nothing better. And, and it was just, it was honestly, it was amazing. Wow. I mean, the following season, um, Josh, you played. I think you only played twenty-one games the following season. Um, yeah, and then it, and then you were then unfortunately let go. Um, yeah, from having so much success the previous year yeah. to then only playing yeah. twenty-one games the following year, was that yeah. was that hard to take? Um, you know, the the coach came in at the time and. He tried to rip the soul out of 
Um, obviously, Hursty left and went to obviously another club, and then a new, yeah. a new coach come in, um, and he tried. He kind of it felt as if he come in and he and he'd seen myself, Craig Disley, um, Maca the keeper, and it felt like we were obviously kind of immortalised in, in a sense. And it felt like he'd come in and he and it looked at us and thought, "I want to make my stamp on the team." So you lot are gone. Wow. That's kind of like what it felt like. And to be honest, it wasn't enjoyable. I mean, training was mundane. It was long. I mean, we'd do three-hour analysis sessions. We'd go in and we'd sit in an analysis booth for three hours. And then we'd go out and we'd do 11 v 11 for another two hours. Information so, overload. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So we'd gone from Hursty, which training was fast-paced, competitive, and then we'd gone completely opposite. I mean... Football is attention spans, to be honest, and not that long. <laughs> so um, doing a three-hour analysis session um, and then going out and training for however long on 11-11, it just, yeah. it just wasn't great. But I'm a really positive person and I kind of changed it a little bit. And, you know, I know there was a lot of young lads at the club and I, and I tried to help them and give them advice moving in their careers and I spent more time in the gym and it meant I had more time with loved ones and stuff like that so there was a positive part of it obviously I wasn't playing which was really frustrating and annoying but you know how long do you be upset about something you know you have to try and change your kind of mental approach to things and, and, and I did that and I spent more time in the gym and I was healthy I'm probably the strongest I've ever been in my career and you know I met my partner during that period and I, I was at home spending more time with my family. So, you know, that, that was great. But it, yeah, I mean, it was sad to end that way. But to be honest, I kind of blocked that period out in my mind because, you know, having the success we had, that nothing's going to nothing's gonna kind of put a damper on that. Yeah. I mean, and then in May 2017, obviously your time at Grimsby came to a close and you made the move to Torquay. Yeah. What was it about Torquay that really attracted you at the time? So uh, Kevin Nicholson was there, and, and he was he come in at uh, Kidding when I was there for a while, and obviously Ke- uh, Kev took over at Torquay, and obviously there was a project there, and um, I knew if, uh, you know I get on really well with Kev, and there was a strength and conditioning coach there called Simon Jeffries, right. um, and he he goes out to America sometimes, works with the NFL and stuff like that, and he was just like for strength and conditioning stuff, he was amazing, and obviously in my mind when I'm thinking about management. And the way Kev is, Kev's really big on my management. And I, I wanted to go there and obviously work with him and, and obviously grow the team with him. But also there was things there that I really thought I could learn. So that was kind of like the idea of going going there. Obviously, I left. Obviously, my missus lives in Grimsby. So I left my missus and, and then moved to Torquay. So it was a very difficult decision, but football is football. And, you know, I love it. So I'll, I'll move where I've got to move. Yeah, I mean, and then that season, unfortunately, you ended up... <laughs> relegation zone in 22nd place just sort of tell us yeah. about your recollection of that year and and what things were like in the dressing room as well that was was hard because and um, obviously Nico was uh, a, a close friend of mine and he got sacked quite early um, and it was hard that was that was it was hard to see him say it was hard to see him leave because I don't think the fans in this, well I, I know the fans know Nico loves the club but I don't think they understand how much he's ties with that football club and he were, he wasn't treated great there to be honest and it was it was sad to see him go and then obviously we had another guy um, that took over and had a completely different philosophy different ideas and it just didn't work and um, yeah we ended up mm. um, 
obviously getting relegated, you know, as, as we did, and then obviously he ended up leaving. So, but yeah, it just, it turned, it turned sour quickly there with Nico leaving, I think, because he was, it was difficult for me because I left for him. I left all my loved ones. I left everything behind because I mean, Torquay's pretty far. So um, I'd left, <laughs> I'd left all my loved ones for him. That was my, my sole reason to go into to that football club was for, was for him. So obviously when he left, it was like, wow. You know, kind of what they done, but it is what it is, and that's football, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I've since you've moved to Hereford as well, and you've recently become interim manager after the departure of Russell Slade. What was that move into management like for yourself? Obviously, your first main role at a club. Yeah, well, obviously, I'd, I'd had the coaching side of things for a bit um, at at Kidderminster, and um, I was obviously captain at Hereford uh, for, the, for the years I've been there, and it was. I've been ready for it for a while. Um, you know, I've been studying um, my degree in psychology. Um, I did that uh, part-time while I was playing and then I'm nearly a qualified counsellor and, you know, I've done qualifications to understand how a boardroom works. So I've been giving up to it for quite a while. So <clears throat> to be honest, when Matt Richards left, um, I approached the club and said I wanted it then and, and you know, it wasn't the right time and, and they wanted a bit of a bigger name. So obviously Russell came in and then Russell left and then again I jumped in and I said, look, I want the job. I know I can turn things around. Obviously, we, I think at the time we were like 22 games and one win or something. So I was just ready. You know, I'd spent time analysing the squad and looking at, you know, areas that we can improve on and stuff. So it's the right time and lucky enough for me, um, Steve was... Uh, available you know I rang Steve to lean on lean on some of his experience and I managed to get him in and I think we've gone from strength to strength to be fair and we obviously kept the club up and obviously then the coronavirus hit and then obviously everything's kind of gone kaput <laughs> I mean have you you've learnt anything in particular that you might have surprised you during your time at Hereford as manager um, I think I'm a, I'm a bit of a kind of I'm very proactive and I'm a, I'm a bit of a doer. So like I looked at the squad and I was like, right, we need to do this, 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 this and this and I need to change all these things overnight. And I think um, it's, it's kind of relaxed me and calmed me down a little bit to kind of focus more and just focus on, you know, some of the key things that are going to make us successful rather than trying to change everything. It, it was kind of really honing in on, you know, okay, block all of the noise out and just think about what it is that's going to make us win and what it is that's going to make us better. And I think, to be honest, my psychology and my counselling backgrounds kind of really helped me with, with, with the players and, and my management. And just, I think, you know, I was lucky enough to have Richard um, O'Kelly to lean on um, for that some emotional support. And I've not had that a lot in my career. And as a manager, that's what I want more than anything. And I think that's why I've, I, I did, you know, my degree. And obviously I'm, you know, on, on the track to be a qualified counsellor. Because I think it's really important nowadays with, with social media and all that kind of thing and the pressure of things for for footballers to have support. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say to all the players, regardless of whether they're playing on the day or not, come and speak to me if there's an issue. You know, I, I found that the football culture needs to change. I think if a lad comes to, a, you know, especially back then, if a lad comes to a manager and said, Gaff, I'm struggling, I feel a bit down, I feel a bit depressed. I think that was seen as mental weakness and the manager probably wouldn't rely on that player when for me personally I think that's mental toughness to, to be able to have the foresight to look at yourself and be like well actually there's something wrong I think that's quite a strong and, 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 I, and I think then you just need someone to help you to help guide you with that one of the big things um, that the reason why I did my degree is 
I didn't understand how bad till now my injury affected me during my career. Right. Um, it affected my confidence in, in a way that I didn't realise. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, I can look back on it now and say it did, but I was invincible. When I was at Bournemouth and those early, in the early years through there, I was invincible. I, I felt no one could touch me. I was as quick as everyone else, as strong as everyone else. I was never going to get injured. And then all of a sudden, I had injury. I was out for a year. And that, that kind of idea in my mind went. And I remember my first um, reserve game back, we played Southampton. And I think, I think, I don't know if Theo Walcott played, but I know Nathan Dyer played. And I was quick back then. And I remember Nathan Dyer kicked the ball past me and ran. And he left me, like left me for dead. And I lost a yard of pace. And it just, it, it just, honestly, I just struggled with it. I really struggled with it. My confidence, it just, it knocked me because I was so quick that I didn't have to get in position early enough because I could just sprint and get there. And, and I was, I was on a par with all the quickest players. All of a sudden, I didn't have that anymore. And it, that, that invisibility wow. just, and, and I just, it just, it really did, really did kind of hamper me. So my counter side of things, I want, I want to be a qualified counselor because um, I want to set. I want to try and set up something where, you know, these footballers have a place where they can come, especially with injuries and especially with pros coming towards the end of their careers because you've had this identity for so long as a professional footballer and then all of a sudden when that's gone, then who are you? What do you do? So I, I, I want to be there for people to be able to lean on and, and speak about those experiences that I have and, and, and be trained enough and skilled enough to be able to get them on the right path. And I think that's really important. I think that's missing in football. Would you say as well, like the, um, the, the outlook of being really sort of in touch with your players and having that good level of man management, would you say that really sort of sets apart like the, really, the real top managers out there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the Jurgen Klopp, I'm a Liverpool fan. So um, you just look at the way he is with his players and you can just see he hugs them, he's, he's smiling, he's bright, they come up, around, he just, you can just see that's infectious and you can see the players love him because he actually cares. Footballers are a commodity, understand that, and we're sold and, you know, that is, you know, the nature of the beast, but we're still human beings at the end of the day. And, you know, if you're dropped on a Saturday, I think fans sometimes... There's this misconception that, you know, when you if you're playing bad, you're meant to do it, or you know that you'll see a player go through a really bad patch and, and they'll turn the you know some fans not all fans obviously but some fans will turn around and go oh he doesn't care. Well, from my experience, when I've had a bad game on a Saturday and there's not a game on a Tuesday till the following Saturday, um, it's ruined me. It, it ruined me from Saturday to Saturday. I was bad, bad mood. You know, if a goal was my fault, I'd be replaying it mind over and over and over again. And, you know, people don't understand. You make a mistake in front of 10,000 people, 10,000 people have saw that. If you make a mistake at work, two people have saw it. So I've seen it. It's obviously it's a mistake, but it's, it's not on that grander scale. So, you know, it can really impact people. You know, it's, it's just getting out there and, and making people understand that footballers are human and, and they do have, you know, emotions and you go through ups and downs and, you know, I think people really do have to, I mean, you know, the racist thing, you know, the, the racism, you know, with Raheem Sterling and stuff like that and some of the, the abuse that footballers are subject to, it has an impact. You can have as good as you want. When someone says something like that, of course it will have an impact. It does. 
So it's, it's just, but, you know, hopefully, I think football is changing, definitely. And, and I think we are going a bit more of the man management side of things. And there is a lot more, you know, we have welfare officers at football clubs now and councillors are getting involved now. And, you know, we have different organisations that are getting involved in football side of things. But I definitely think we need, we're still a long way off where we need to be. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned as well, um, during your playing days, you were picking up your degrees as well. Would you say that that's yeah. um, a really important thing for footballers to focus on is what life will be like after they've retired playing as well? Like, we're looking forward. I was watching the TV today, actually, and Craig Bellamy um, was talking, and he was talking about habits, and he's picked up um, a lot of habits. Um, I remember he just said to me, I obviously was studying, and um, I started up a car leasing business, um, which I'm not going to plug on me. Um, and, uh, <laughs> plug it if you want, Josh. Plug it if you want. Sure, <laughs> car leasing. Um, and um, they said to me, I remember the manager said to me, he said, why are you doing anything else? Your sole focus should be on football. And throughout my career as a young lad, that's all you've ever been told. So it's very difficult to get out of that mould. And then you get to... 35 or however old you are and then all of a sudden you've been that way of thinking and then that that life is then gone and then what do you do you've not studied you've not looked at your career after football you know realistically players from league one down are going to have to work once they've finished playing football so when you're going for a job interview or you apply job applications what experience can you put down on a job application when all you've done is kick the ball all your life it's very difficult. So I just, for myself, I, I looked at it and I thought, I need to pack my CV. I obviously need to be doing all these things that are going to help me go into management and all these things. But at the same time, I need to be realistic that going into managing, you've got to be very fortunate. And lucky enough for me at Hereford, I've been fortunate to fall into something. But you also have to have a backup. So I've done my degree and I've done my counselling. I've worked at you know, an SEN school to get some experience. I've done my governance qualifications. I've done my scouting, so I'm a qualified scout. So I've tried to do as many things as I can to kind of, when I go into, you know, a different environment, I've got those skills. And don't get me wrong, football has got amazing transferable skills. You know, if you've been a captain, you've got team leadership skills and, you know, and, and sales skills. Football is a great salesman but um, because we work in the entertainment business. But, you know, it, it's worrying that, there's not more done for footballers. I mean, like young footballers, you know, you look at the Premier League players and, you know, you've got a young lad on 40 grand a week. Why are the football clubs not around and say, you're on 40 grand a week, but 10 grand a week is going into a fund until you reach a certain age, so you've got pot money? Or why are they not going through skill coaching and, and things? Why are they not pushed to do degrees and all this stuff? They're not. And it's, again, it's because footballers are commodities. And, you know, are clubs looking at a player long-term? Are they? Or are they looking for results? If you're not getting results, then you're out the window. And it's difficult because, obviously, football is a results business. And as a manager, I need to get results. If I don't get results, I get sacked. But at the same time, I'm also a human being. And, you know, I want the best for people and I want people to thrive and you know even if they're not good enough and I don't think they're good enough at our level and I want to move them on to move them on with as many skills as I can for them to flourish somewhere else Wow I mean yeah Josh you make you make some brilliant brilliant points there and I, I completely agree with you is that and this was 
kind of the concept that we went with when we started inside the change room is to give footballers a platform to to speak on um, and 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 to like you say um, almost at times footballers are treated more like robots than they are actual human beings. Um, but they are fantastic points that you bring up. Certainly, um, Josh. Just to finish off, um, like I gave you a message before we started recording um, to to say this is going to be hard for you um, to pick your best, your favourite six side team with the six best players that you've played with. Obviously, you've we've yeah. obviously spoke about it during the podcast. You've put, you've played with players that have have gone on and and done brilliant things and still playing now. Um, yeah, if you could have your favourite six-a-side team, come on, who, who, yeah. who would you go with? Yeah, I've been thinking about this, and I've been going backwards and forwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the goalie for first would be Dean Henderson. Okay. Um, he, I, I said to, I said to um, he, he come in um, after a couple of weeks, I said to one of my friends, I think he was about 18, 19 when he came to Grimsby, and I said he'll play for England one day. Um, he is the best young keeper I've ever seen. How? He's wow. unbelievable. And his confidence matches that as well, to be fair. <laughs> He's got that confidence, let's say that. <laughs> Con- but, um, confident, confident, not cocky. <laughs> no, no. Do you know what he's with him? He's cocky, but he's funny with it. So he's fine. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's cool. So, um, so probably him. And then centre-halves will probably be Dunks. Shay Dunkley. Um, and the new one will probably be Jason Peer. Yeah. He's, I think he's at, he's at Charlton now. Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pierce is no, no nonsense, you know, strong, decent on the ball, uh, captain material. He wants the best all the time. And, you know, Dunks is the same. Dunks has progressed so much, um, you know, through the years. And he took to the, to obviously into the league and then he's just got better and better as he's gone on. And, you know, it was, it was unfortunate that he had his injury when it when he had because you know I think he'll go on to bigger and better things as well. And then in midfield, I'll probably go one lad you probably never heard of. His name's Steve Cook. Okay. So he made his debut for Aston Villa when he was seventeen. Steve Cook United. that plays for Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. He is by far the most talented footballer I've ever seen. He's wow. He that is a the- shout. <laughs> Yeah, we went to ask Villa, and I remember one of the coaches said to me, oh, how's Cookie doing? And I said, oh, yeah, he's all right. He had bad ankles, so he was injured. And he said, oh, Cookie's the, the um, biggest talent we've ever had in the club. And that was at Aston Villa. He wow. was just, honestly, the things he could do with a football was frightening. He, he was unbelievable. But he just had, oh, he had really big ankles, and it, it didn't quite happen for him because of those injuries. So he ended up retiring like, early. So And then the other one would probably be... So it was it was a toss up between Adam Lallana and um, Darren Anderton, but right. um, I, went, I went for, I went for legs. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I was going to go with Darren because Darren was obviously I don't need to tell you about his career, but no. some of the passes that uh, that guy used to pick out, he'd be facing you and you'll be facing up the pitch, and you'd give him the ball and he'd hit a diag to a player that you didn't even see and you were facing the player and he wasn't. And you'd just be like, how oh, is he mad? Like, it was just, it was unbelievable. Wow. Um, Adam, Adam, um, obviously, he, he was young uh, when I was in, but you could see he's Yeah, where was you with Adam at? He's coming at Bournemouth. Oh, okay. So, um, he, his passion for football was 
he just knew everything about it. He loved it. He, he, he ate, slept and bre- um, breathed football. He just loved football. And that's why he is where he is. Yeah. He, he just, his work rate, his determination to get better all the time. I mean, from where he was when I played with him to where he is now, I mean, would he would have to Liverpool? Probably not. But that's the testament to his attitude. And his work rate, he just unbelievable. I remember he's used to have his sister as well. His sister thinking about football. Him and his sister together, they just like they were like little statues and they knew everything. So, um, but yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, yeah, he's got he's got to be in there. And then striker, it's, it's a difficult one because I played with so many, um, and I was just thinking of the sixth side who would who would I put in, and one of them would be, and he never he should have got, but he should have got higher than what he did was probably Fabian Brandy. You remember, yeah, remember Fabian? Yeah. 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 Cool. He coming on he, loan under at, from Man United at Gilles, yeah. Yeah, he because I played uh, for a bit as well. And he was I mean he's only a little lad and his centre of gravity was unbelievable. And some of the I mean the year he coming at Gilles was frightening money. I mean he scored yeah. how many he scored he was, yeah. it was unbelievable. But he he was just I don't know. He was he was he was immense. I mean, he should have stayed at Man U. I turned down a contract at Manchester United, and I think that really cost him dearly. I think. I think if he if he would have stayed there and progressed a bit more and learned a bit more, I think he would have gone on and and done a lot more things. It was toss up between him and James Hayter, to be fair, because James Hayter James well, shout though as well. James Hayter, what a career he's at. Yeah. What a career he had. He just, the, the best leap in football and the hang time he used to get on his back stick, up in the air, head out, bang, goal. His work rate, his, he had a comfort as well. His finishing was unbelievable. So it was a, a toss-up between them two, but I went for a bit of sharpness because um, Fabs is a bit jinky on a six-side pitch. I think Fabs would have, would, would have done in there. So, yeah, definitely Fabs. Um, no, yeah, Josh, you've been absolutely brilliant. What a, what a career Josh has had. Um, you retired me now. Is, is, that, is that what we're saying? Sorry? I'm, I'm, are you, have, you, have you retired me now? No, yeah, yeah, I've finished you now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've finished you off, I've finished you off. Um, no, I mean, to be honest, mate, to be honest, considering like going back from obviously West Brom days to to the, to obviously your Bournemouth and then and then your, your kind of your mental health then played a part. We had obviously Matt, Matt Fry on yeah, here that yeah. he said about injuries played a massive part in his mental health, yeah. but then, then to simply recover and still have yeah. the career that you, you you went on and had in terms of promotions and 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 then being captains and playing in teams of the seasons and things like that, playing at the home of football, like it, like a lot of footballers get big injuries and you see a lot of footballers get big injuries and never recover from them in terms of they drop into non-league and they drop and drop and just go. And just you don't you don't see their career again, and so yeah. obviously it's testament to you to to obviously staying in the game, keeping at it, um, being in like like we say, being in a couple of teams to see, uh, team of the season, so winning promotions. Obviously, you're doing very 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 well um, in your in your management. Um, remains to be seen what obviously happens after COVID. Hopefully, you carry on. Um, you've got yeah. your degree, so you've obviously set that out, but. Josh, you've been an absolute fantastic guest and thank you ever uh, so much for coming on. No, thanks for having me on, guys. Keep watching Inside the Changing Room. We've got plenty of guests coming on this week. Keep liking, subscribing, keep watching our channel. 
You've been watching Inside the Changer Room.